Welcome to my den. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're my guest on today's show. You're a young boy, about 11 years old, and for as long as you can remember, you have ridden on your grandfather's shoulders as he walked you proudly through your family's real estate and buildings, recounting tales of the family business's trials and tribulations. He frequently shares with you his pride, saying, Reg, one day you're going to own all of this. Then, out of the blue, at 11 years old, your family gets a call. Your grandfather has had an accident and has died. Stunned, you watch a family war break out in front of your eyes, brother against brother, cousin against cousin. The entire family wars over the assets and the money that your grandfather leaves behind, and your father is expected to take over the company at an age far younger than he ever anticipated. Now you're an adult. What do you do? Well, my guest today, Reg Athwal, chose in that hard situation to become the bridge that eventually brought his family back together. And now because of that experience of watching a family business torn apart and then reconciled, he now helps us break the code on running successful family businesses. Reg is the founder and chairman of RTS Global Partners and the founder of the Family Business Academy. And over the course of the past two decades, he has privately advised over 200 family businesses in 25 countries. Reg today shares with us some incredible tips, his experience and his perspective on what family businesses can do to help their children carry the business to the next generation what his own family company does to make sure that each child is encouraged to develop entrepreneurial and leadership skills of their own, and ultimately ways to make sure that your family business continues into the next generation. I really enjoyed this conversation because I'm someone involved in my parents' company, and we're only on the second generation, so Reg's tips will hopefully help me and my parents help us take our business into the third generation. By the end of this episode, you're going to have some amazing tools to crack the code on managing a family business or really any business that involves people and their human emotions. And guess what? That's every company. Check out Reg's book if you enjoy this conversation. It just launched this year and it's called The Family Business Messenger, 24 Parables to Guide Your Family Legacy. And connect with him on Clubhouse. It's actually where we met. Just look up Reg Athwal. Reg hosts sessions two to three times per week geared toward family businesses and helping them thrive. I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. So without further ado, here we go. You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where we unpack the collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. I believe that if you don't have a native digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or at least one you pay to pester you like a fly in your ear, your business won't survive. Let's change that today.
Reg. How yeah. are you doing today in wonderful UAE? Yeah, in, in lovely Dubai. Have you, have you ever been to the UAE or this part of the world? I have not. And I know very little about it. So I can't wait for this journey of education into whatever we end up talking about, whether it's culture, business, all the above. Well, yeah. When I, well, when I came to the UK for the first time, it was early so 2004. And they were around that time putting in the bedrock and the foundation for the tallest tower in the world. So, um, yeah, I remember around that time, just a lot of sand and not many skyscrapers. And now it's just unbelievable what's happened in 17, 18 years. Um, what I've seen is just unbelievable. For, for, with Start off with just one cluster of, of towers in one location. And now we've got mini cities popping up everywhere. And I think it won't be long before, like many countries around the world will, they'll There'll just be a long highway and it all connects and it becomes a mega, mega city. So we, in, in one place in Dubai Marina, which is a hotspot in Dubai, there's now over 200 skyscrapers. In downtown, um, in downtown Dubai, there's probably another 200 skyscrapers. And uh, if you take the top 50 skyscrapers in the world, many of them in the top 50 are in Dubai right now. My husband and I love watching, you know, anything with architectural digest, you know, reading through their articles and seeing all the pictures. And it's always made me wonder, like, what do you think is spurring all of that growth right there in Dubai? Great question. Well, if you, if you go back to the history of the UAE before it became United Arab Emirates, which is 50 years ago, that's, that's how young the United Arab Emirates is. The Sheikh Zayed, who is, is quoted as the father of the UAE, based out of Abu Dhabi, which is the capital. Because uh, a lot of people get confused, by the way. They think Dubai is a country, and Dubai is not. It's a city. It's an emirate uh, within the UAE. But Sheikh Zayed and, 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 and Abu Dhabi, they discovered oil. And at that time, there were tribal people living in the desert, very humble, got their camels, and uh, that was it. And they discovered oil. And he said to everyone, as the father of, of the UAE, we've been blessed with, with oil and we'll be able to sell this all over the world and let's do good with it. So whatever we generate, what can we do to help this country um, grow and support all of the Emiratis, the Arabs? And from there, the vision just got bigger and bigger of why do we have to go to other parts of the world to experience uh, luxury or, or other quality parts of life. Why don't we bring it here? Why don't we build it here? And uh, and and I think that's really how it started. And then a gentleman called Sheikh Mohammed, who's in Dubai, the ruler of Dubai, just ended up with it with a bigger vision um, of not only supporting the local nationals, but thought if you've got the Western world and you've got the East and the Far East, why don't we make this the centre? And the Middle East can become that place where both sides of the world come and connect. And that became the vision. Well, it makes complete sense. And of course, you know, the, the, the cradle right there that's in the Middle East anyway, I mean, that was where civilization began. That was where the innovation was happening, right? And then it spread out and here we are in 2022. And I, I just, I think it's phenomenal to see that sort of growth happening back in the same area where, you know, we kind of all spread out from in the first place. So 
it's it's amazing and it makes me wonder as well like with so you said you've been in dubai for 17 years yes i I formally moved here in 2005 so you've you've been there for almost half of the time that the country or the city at least has has been a thing has been around which is amazing yeah we've seen pictures like before i moved here there was a pic one picture it's quite famous on social media where it shows in the, uh, around 2000, 2001, one picture of the main highway, which is a super highway now, but in those days, the main road that connected Abu Dhabi to Dubai. And all you see is sand, desert, and you see one tower, it's the World Trade Center. And anyone who have a ch- has a chance now to travel from Abu Dhabi to D- Dubai, you won't be able to see that World Trade Center. It's the, probably one of the small, smallest buildings in the whole country. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's amazing how everything has grown so fast. And it, it makes me think, where will we be in the next 10, 15, 20 years? Um, because we, we, this is only, you can get to any part of Dubai, apart from peak time, within 30 minutes. doesn't matter which direction you go. It is a very small place entire population of the country is around 9, 10 million. So it's very small compared to most countries around the world. But we've got a vast amount of land outside of Dubai that carries on and on until it touches other emirates. So there's there's an opportunity to expand further. And uh, for, for most people who are not aware right now, um, in the UAE, you know, there's an expo that runs over six months and there's already 15 million visitors who've come to the expo um, to have a chance to go to all the pavilions with over 200 countries around the world represented. And, and I think that's also putting Dubai on the map, because if they can now host an event like that, and we've got the Soccer World Cup, Football World Cup around the corner, which is in another part of the Middle East in Qatar, which is the first country in the Middle East to host such a big uh, competition and tournament, it's, it's not going to be long before... UAE ends up attracting more and more of those big, big showcase tournaments to attract more people. But overall, Hannah, one of the things that comes up a lot from people who travel to Dubai, um, you either like it or you hate it. And so there's mixed things that come up. For example, the people who love it and like it, they love that everything's clean. It's new. There's innovation every direction. Um, everywhere you go, there's innovation happening. It's just a melting pot of innovation because it's such a new country and a new city uh, for Dubai. So on the flip side, people go, it doesn't have a soul. And what what that really means is it hasn't matured. Because if we go to France, you go to Italy, you go to certain parts of the world, go to Japan, you've got heritage there. You've got DNA that's been around for two, three, four, five hundred, even a thousand years. And that's the bit that I get. But so people who don't have that feeling of, oh, it lacks that, that, that soul, I get it. But what it's attracting is more and more people who just want to innovate and, and be cutting edge and do new stuff. That's what it's attracting. I so appreciate you painting that picture for me because as much as I want to travel to Dubai and really just all over the world, I absolutely love traveling. 
I have a good friend who grew up in in the Middle East as a whole. You know, she she was born in Iran. She lived in Iraq for for parts of her life, and then she got her law degree in London. And anyway, so she's she is very very well traveled, and now she lives in Colorado. Well, her name's Maryam. She is you know she was born into a Muslim family. She has married a white guy here in Colorado, and you would not believe how many. Uh, questions, or actually not questions, statements she gets from people who assume that they understand her culture and her heritage. And they'll say statements, which rather shock me, but they'll say statements like, oh, weren't you so lucky or so fortunate to grow up in such a, you know, impoverished place and have a law degree? Or just things that really show the misunderstandings people have about really that entire region of the world. And, and most of us in America, at least speaking as an American who's born and raised here. And I've only traveled outside of, um, I've only traveled to central America. I've never been to Europe. I've never been to, uh, to, you know, Asia and, there, it, it's so easy to get in this closed mindset. And, and instead of asking questions like, you know, oh my gosh, I know nothing of what it's like to live or be in a different country or interact with a different culture. Tell me about it. It's so easy to just assume based on whether it's, you know, history books we've read out of or the media that we're watching to get in these silos. So I does that happen in your country when it comes to, other countries, those those same misconceptions or misunderstandings. Yeah, I think I think um, I think that there's a couple of things popping in my head with what you're saying, Hannah. You know, really good thoughts here, um, linked to what what you've just said. One would be when we think about Dubai and the UAE, we we have over 200 nationalities here. So if you go to a company uh, like if I take one of my clients here, family business in in Dubai. They have over 200 nationalities working in their organization. So when you walk into that open planned environment or go from floor to floor, you just look around and you see someone from Spain, you see someone from Australia, you see someone from New Zealand, you see someone from Jamaica, you see someone from Kenya, you see someone from Japan, from America. It is amazing. And the, the opening line here for everyone in the country when you meet someone for the first time is where are you from? Yeah, where are you from? You know, which country are you from? And how long have you been here? You know, those are the two opening lines for everybody. So what we've really done is we've embraced not only everybody's culture and respect for where people are from all over the world, we 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 also respect the culture of the country and it is an Arab nation. I mean I'm I'm not an Arab, I'm not I'm not a Muslim, but I feel absolutely at home. You know, I have have a lot of Arab friends. Uh, we have a lot of mutual respect. I've never got into an argument on the street with someone, never got into a fight with someone randomly in the country. Um, it's just everyone's really civilized. There's a lot of good manners and strong values. And I think that's also what makes it work while it's why it's, it's attracting more and more people from different nationalities. The other thing popped in my head with the work that you do with Gen Zers, and, 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 and it's great what you do, Hannah, uh, and I can absolutely relate to how people need to understand the mindset of Gen Z, but one of the tips I would give is is that young 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 adults should go and travel as much as they can from an early age. Uh, in my library here, one of the books I really enjoyed reading recently was Shoe Dog, uh, from the founder of of uh, Nike and or Nike, depending on how you see it around the world. 
And that's what he did. You know, he had a chance from a young age to, to go traveling. And as a result of traveling, ended up with ideas from Japan and other parts of the world that, that created this magnificent, today, a multi, multi-billion dollar company. I think it's only until you get to, to other countries and you experience cultures and their food and how they do things, their values, it gives you a huge amount of appreciation uh, for the world that we live in. And it's a shame that so many people um, have not even traveled out of their own country, and in some cases, not even outside their own state. No kidding. Well, you're you're speaking what is very true about so many people living in my area because I so I live in North Carolina in the you know the tip where we still have a city. We actually have in terms of America, we have the most conservative county politically speaking, and the most liberal county right next to each other. And so you have in the liberal county, you have all of these people coming from all over the country or even the world moving into this one hub. And then in the conservative county, you have a large majority of people who who have never traveled out of the out of North Carolina or out of at least, you know, a couple of the surrounding states. And it is it does breed this kind of closed mindset where you don't really expose yourself to your only exposure to those other places or those other cultures is literally just what you've heard from the media or in books or, you know, social media, God forbid you're getting your, your cultural relevance and your cultural understanding from social media. So it's, it is definitely something I'm passionate about too, is helping people explore and just be curious. And, and that makes me, you know, even more curious about what you do too, with your work all over the, all over the globe. So remind me, is it 25 countries that you've worked in? No, I've traveled to 65 countries, uh, with, with the educational aspects of, of being a speaker and educator and the programs that we've done around the world. And then the advisory side of our business, we've worked with hands-on with clients in 25 countries now. So yeah, there's, there's, two aspects of what we do but yeah when it when it links to traveling uh, 65 countries and uh, yeah I, I can't wait to get to more countries in the future and then go back to all the countries that I've already been to because sometimes with work you could be in and out of certain countries over a couple of days and spend a lot of time in a hotel uh, or a conference theater or, or conference room but real traveling for me is the ability to have those extra two three days be with local nationals and get them to show you around and experience the country. So I'd, I want to do more of that in the future. That's exactly the way I love to travel. I, I love to go somewhere new and not have an agenda and just go walk on the street, ask some locals, hey, where would you go if mm-hmm. this was your first time visiting the city? It's so it's so much better than all the tourist traps and the, you know, you know how all that jazz goes. Um, but I I did want to ask you because since our last conversation, this has been really on my mind. Just thinking about family business, I think I'd share with you. You know, I I am part of my family's real estate company now. And that's been a shift since the beginning of COVID. I came back to my hometown and and joined my family's company. And it just observing the intricacies of how my two-generation family company works and where there's conflict and where there's understanding and where there's, you know, we have collisions one day and then the next day everything is fine and we've worked through something. For from someone 
who is so much more experienced than I am with family businesses from all different industries and uh, all different countries and all different legacies. What have you observed within multi-generational family companies uh, that has been surprising or interesting or, or trends that you may have seen from companies that are say more than two generations and they've still survived yeah, I'm, well, maybe maybe to, to to go back when when I first got in, involved in this industry, which is the family business industry. Um, my 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 family, um, from my grand my grandfather was a first generation entrepreneur, and uh, he was a serial entrepreneur. He had a big vision, and then came the second generation, uh, many many second generation members, and my father, not the eldest of the second gen, but the eldest of the male bloodline. And in those days, everything was very much male dominant. You know, it was every, the successor would be male, passed down to males. I mean, things are changing now in 2022. But in those days, it was very much like that. And and the eldest, the hierarchy model, the eldest of the male would, would sort of take over. But my father ended up having an opportunity to, to migrate and come to the United Kingdom from a very young age. As a result, someone else in the family was in the British Army. And, uh, and, and, and I then was born, I'm, I'm the eldest male of the third generation. And from London to going to northern part of India, we used to go every year as a family. And, and I remember those years clearly from the earliest memories from probably age four or five, all the way through to the age of 10, every year going back and, my, and spending a lot of time with my grandfather. And my grandfather, uh, the days I'd remember, He'd pick me up and I'll be on his shoulders and we'll walk around the different buildings and land and he'll say, one day you'll be looking after all this. I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was sowing seeds. He was sowing seeds into my head about the legacy that he wanted to, to build. And unfortunately, um, when I was around 11 years of age, we got a phone call and, and we heard that he had had an accident and passed away. And it was a real horrible time in the family, especially for my father, because he was fairly, fairly young still. And uh, there's only a 21 year gap between my father and I. So from generation to generation, it's really tight. And suddenly he, he had all this pressure. He had to now look after everything, being the eldest. Uh, but then I saw a war start right in front of my eyes. And the war was between him and his brothers and over land and the assets. And this went on for many, many years. It really affected me, my childhood, um, because on one side I was told that all these people that I was meeting every year were my family. And then I was told suddenly that they're no longer family. And I couldn't get my head around that. Like, why? How? How, how could you tell me they're family on one side and now you're telling me they're not? And then I was told not to talk to anyone, uh, which I couldn't understand. How, why am I not allowed to speak to my cousins anymore? Um, so that's probably one of the reasons why I got into, um, the people business initially, HR, personal development, psychology areas, started to read a lot. And, and that's probably because I had a lot of questions that I needed to answer for myself. Like what happened here? And that journey eventually led to meeting my first ever family business about 21 years ago, where I already had a speaker brand. I was educating people around business topics and they said oh mr reg we really love your content and can you come and help us we've got lots of business issues 
And cutting a long story short, I ended up flying to their country in the Middle East. And I was with them for a whole week and met one family member, another one, another one. And I was thinking, how many family members are there? At the end of the week, I counted 47. And there were four generations, you know, going back to your question about multi-generational family businesses. And every time I I was speaking to these family members and and having sort of private little one-to-ones with them and getting to know them, they were whispering in my ear because they'd never had someone like me turn up asking the questions I was and confiding me very, very quickly. And I realized they didn't have business issues. They had family issues. And they couldn't see what I could see. And I thought, if they don't sort this out, they're going to sabotage all of this. And uh, that was pretty much, at the end of that week, I decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life, till my last breath, making sure that I build family business legacies and support people to have harmony and unity and not sabotage what they're doing. So linking it to what you're saying, that journey then started to, to do research on family businesses that had gone beyond four generations. And the reason I mentioned that, Hannah, and for, for your listeners is that only 3% of family businesses get to fourth generation and beyond. 97% don't make it. Um, and, and it's even less than that by the time you start thinking about seventh or eighth generation family businesses. You're in the US, one of the, the, the longest established family businesses in, in North America is the Shirley Plantation. And they've been around before the um, USA became the United States of America and had a country constitution. That's how long they've been around. So how did they do that? I I came across the family business in Japan. This year, they're celebrating 1,443 years, heading to 48-generation family business. How? How did they do that? So so to really support your listeners, if they have got a family business and, and you're now part of your family business, there are three things that everyone needs to factor to build a legacy. The first area is the family matters, purely family areas. You're connected because your bloodline, your siblings, father and daughter, father and son, husband and wife team, whatever the combination could be. And the definition of a family business is at least two family members have come together and they're involved in some capacity in a business. So that's the definition of, of, of family business. So on the family piece, you must do everything you can to create harmony and unity. What stops us from from, from that happening is there's what I call emotional blockages that come up in a family. We all have them. We've got hearts. We've got minds. Emotions come up. Misunderstandings happen. So there's a lot of work that has to happen to make sure that there's regular communication. There's a core set of values that the family adopt, which are what I call non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. We all have signed up to these values and the way we're going to behave. This is what respect means to us. This is what trust means to us. This is what care means for us. This is what integrity is for us. So these are things that are very important at our family level, lots of social gatherings, time together. And Hannah, that's really important. If you think about your generation, second generation, when second generation get married and now you've got spouses involved. And let's say one day, you know, you've got children and you've got third generation and they get married. Imagine how many hearts and minds are all floating around in this family tree. <laughs> and as, as people get older, if, if that communication is disconnected, 
and people don't see eye to eye, there's misunderstandings, and they have a family business, it's going to affect the business. Before you go on to two and three, I want to get a little bit deeper into that piece. So when you say maybe, you know, there's this disruption of harmony, that family matters are, are typically the problems that can can hurt the ability for the family to continue the business or do it successfully or whatnot. What are some of the very specific key, most disruptive things that you witness occurring? Disruptive things. Um, so like, for example, at a, at a family, family level linked to the business side now, what could be some of the, the blockages? Well, we're not aligned when it comes to the future. Uh, I, once I went into a family business, three of them in there, two brothers as founders and, a, and one son was in the room. And I said, okay, what's important to you? Next 10 years, what do you want to achieve? What's the vision for the family business at a family level as well as for the business and your wealth and, and everything? And the first gentleman in the room, family member, the eldest, said, we want to build a billion-dollar company. You know, we're going to be in Forbes, on the Forbes list. And, you know, we're going to be a global company. And his, his brother looked at him, he said, really? I said, how about yourself? He said, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. He goes, I want to sleep at night. <laughs> I don't want any debt. We've got too much debt right now, Reg. Okay, I don't want this debt. I, I want to sleep at night. I don't want to borrow more money from the banks just so we can expand and be on the Forbes list. And then, and I can note, I know there's a body language change with the, the, the next gen in the room. I said, how about yourself, young man? And he went, Reg, I don't even want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> goes, I, don't, I don't want to be here. Look at these two. You can see they're, they're not aligned. They don't see eye to eye. What chance have I got here? And uh, so, you know, that was really clear there and then that these three people are not aligned. And, <laughs> Sounds uh, like my siblings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the young, the seven-year-old, like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Like, <laughs> you guys are not in alignment at all. And she'll she'll tell us that. She will school us. And she's seven. And it's great. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's just one of many things, Hannah. You know, it could be lack of alignment when it comes to the vision. Um, it could be lack of, of clarity. Um, like, I don't know what my job role is here. I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. That could be coming up for someone, especially as more members join the family business and they turn up, they've graduated, maybe they worked outside for a few years, they joined the family business, they sat there with mum and dad, uh, uh, and, and, and they go, right now what? I'm here. And they're like, oh, you'll figure it out. Yeah, go, 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 yeah. go you'll figure it out. Go, go, go meet everybody, go and visit all the offices, all the branches, go and spend time in the manufacturing plant, go out there in the agricultural land, whatever type of business it is. And there's no structure. They've got no plan. There's no mentoring plan. There's, there's no feedback for them. And they're scratching their head going, I, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing here. Does that make sense, Hannah? Oh, 100%. And ambiguity kills any role. And in I've witnessed that in a family company, it, it tends to be even worse because there's almost this expectation, at least from what I've observed in my limited view, there's this expectation that you'll figure it out. Me, it has the underlying assumption that you will always be part of this company. You have no other choice. And sometimes that lack of choice for whether it's in my own experience or have I have a friend who 
lives in France and she and I met because I used to work at the Biltmore Estate, which is a sixth generation family owned business in Asheville. And it's, you know, a wonderful mansion. And it was the, the chateau is America's largest home. The chateau was built after an inspiration from French and German architecture by the Vanderbilt family. And this friend from France, her family also owns a chateau. They're trying to turn it into a tourist attraction. And when she and I met, because she was interning at Biltmore, she, she described to me this, this aura of this expectation from her family company that she would always be involved in hospitality and trying to get this, this, you know, French Chateau tourism business off the ground. When in reality, her heart was in a completely different place. And I hear that story from my generation because, you know, that's who I'm exposed to of fam, you know, third, fourth generation family businesses where the kids sometimes aren't even given the opportunity to consider what their life might look like outside the family company. And so that's why I wanted to ask you this question because I wanted to see like, how often do you find that these blockages uh, or, or the failure of a company, for example, is the result of things like lack of alignment or lack of clarity of vision? Or how often is it something like um, the kids just don't want to get involved? Like they, they just don't, they just don't want to be there or there's a divorce that, that breaks the family apart. It's it's complex, Hannah. It's complex. It's not, you can't put it down to one or two things. I mean, we, with our research, we've got at least 150 things that we've, we've seen happen in 20 plus years, working with over 200 family businesses now from first to 12th generation. And there's many things it's complex. And especially when you start adding them all up and, Every family, as I say, is unique. Every family has their own DNA. And outside of the couple of things I've mentioned, you know, two two others that I could add on to that briefly is personality, identity, personality, DNA, talent, strengths, weaknesses. So that's important. Every you know, no two people in, in the fam in the same family are the same and and, and they have their own uniqueness. So that's important to understand. Uh, you could have a father and daughter in the boardroom and a father has this quick brain, uh, comes up with ideas really, really quickly, a really fast brain, loves starting things, but not great at finishing things, inspires everybody in the family, but keeps changing his mind. And then you've got the daughter in the same room thinking, what's going on here with my dad? Like the way she's built is facts, research, data. I want to take my time. I need to be thorough. Can you imagine these two trying to work with each other now? Yeah. So this, we've, we've created our own model called DNA profiling. And there's nine profiles in the model with 72 different sequences to the model. And all our families have been through this process. We call it profiling. And this is really important. Why this is important and, and where if you don't have something like this done in the family and you end up with, with challenges and, and sabotage your business because we don't understand each other. Everyone has different communication codes. Everybody communicates in a different way. Everyone wants to be heard in a different way. Everyone has different talents that need to be utilized in a different way. So that father example, and let's add a little bit more to it now, a little bit more spice to what I've said. It's not just their profile, but let's say the father is also a dictator. All right, so now we add another dimension to personality and also has high expectations. 
Can you imagine the impact on that to the next generation? So you may end up with someone who joins the business, but after a year, two years, three years, thinks, I don't want to be here. I want to do my own thing. And really what they're saying is, I don't get on with certain family members and I can't stand them. (laughs) Um, And what we've seen as another pattern across 200 family businesses now, the family businesses that have had young generation join and carried on from one gen to the next have done one thing. We've seen a common thread all the way through, which is they've got the, the, the young generation when they were kids involved in the family business to become observers and have a chance to walk around in the manufacturing plant, walk around in the acres of land like my grandfather was doing with me when I was younger, um, to have a swivel around the, in the executive chair, the chairman's chair in the executive office. So there's so many stories like this that we've come across where those things that were put into that child's mind ended up positively impacting them and say, I want to be part of this. But the children that had no exposure and everyone was really busy building the company and gave no exposure to these children. They were just busy with their school, after school activities, in their, with their friends, then traveled the world, went to college, university, did something else. Before you know it, they're 25, 26, 27 years of age but they've had no exposure in the family business. So I hope that helps. Those for your listeners, those were, these are a few things, that, but there's a long list. Did you have that same experience with your grandfather when he would take you around until this war broke out between your dad and oh, your brother? Oh, 100%. And all that's happened, Hannah, in our family is what all we've, we're, we're a, I'm third and I've got my children. That we're, we're a fourth generation family business that has skipped the second generation. That's the only way I can describe it. Okay, <laughs> so you so you did yeah. come back together. It felt- yeah, we, we we built a structure from my generation onwards, but with the philosophy of my grandfather, the principles of my grandfather in our family constitution and family charter, uh, what he used to do with philanthropy. You know, I, I'm big on 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 all the work that I've been doing to educate uh, children and, and at schools and universities and give my time, and now I want to take that to a exponential level around the world with our new foundation that's starting soon. So all of that is because of my grandfather, because I used to jump into his Jeep with him and he'll drive around from village to village with bags full of money, loads of food in the back, and we'll be giving it out to people in different villages. And he was a man who was humble, was successful, but he wanted to give back. So all of those things we've still got in our uh, 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 legacy today in our, in our, as a part of our philosophy, but we just skipped the second generation because they weren't serial entrepreneurs. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> How were you able to pull, or was it just you or was it you, cousins? You, do you have siblings as well who were able to kind of pull in together and bring yeah, this I've back? I've got one, one younger sister, that's it, uh, four years younger than me, and we're you know, aligned uh, we support each other, even though everyone's got respectively different businesses, but we come together for support. Uh, we have meetings. We all come together as a family regularly. So, yeah, there's a lot of synergy there where my job now, I mean, I'm talking to her right now with her two young children, uh, my two nephews, about how I can mentor them. So I, I, I've already said to my sister, I want to pull the eldest under my wings and uh, because I, I know his DNA, I know his strengths already. I'm thinking, wow, I could really support him with all the things that I've done uh, because I see him being a great educator and speaker as well. 
And uh, so, yeah, those are some of the things that we're doing uh, together and in the future when it comes to wealth, a combination between our family offices and create a multifamily office and how that can support uh, future generations. So right now, are how many members of your collective family are still involved with the business? So the way we've structured it, Hannah, which is quite new, it's, it's a modern structure, having learned from 200 family businesses now, uh, what we've, we've built a hybrid structure. So the way that works is we have a family office at the top, uh, which, which is there to, to govern various aspects of, of assets and, and, and wealth and future investment plans. And essentially, that, that's there to support many generations for the future when it comes to, to, to the wealth side. So that's the vision for the family office. And then underneath that link to the group structure with that family office, we have a philosophy that every uh, family member, so myself, my wife, I have four next-gen members, uh, age right, ages right now 19 to 25, where um, everyone should find their passion in life. We have to unleash their DNA, find their talent. And then if they want to go down an employee professional route and that, lights their fire and they, they, they want to do that, that's fine. But we do have a philosophy where we want to encourage NextGen to work outside for a few years to get experience, but we, we want to support them and mentor them to become entrepreneurs. And that's really the philosophy of, of the family, uh, whether that's after two years or five years, whenever they're ready. And that's already happened with one of the four of the NextGen who's already gone down the entrepreneur route from the age of 23. Um. And then the structure is whatever each family member wants to do, um, that's linked to our overall structure, but we give them the support to be the CEO of their respective business and fund it and support it. And then they have to contribute back into the family fund. And then everybody then leverages off that. So I have my arm, and, and then with my arm, I have multiple businesses within it, and that's what Reg does. And even though my wife is a director of governance and finance in my company, um, other family members will sit on the board of other someone else's business. So that's the hybrid structure that we've created to eliminate, Hannah, that problem that's been around for many years, which is this is the legacy business and you must join it. You must, you have this pressure to join it. We don't want that. If you want to join dad, like I've said to all my kids, if you want to join dad and, you, and what dad's doing inspires you and you feel this is where you know, you could find home and build something, I'm more than happy to build a succession plan so you become the future MD or CEO. But if you don't want to join dad, you still have to learn to become a good board director because when I'm not here and mum's not here, you need to know what I've built and manage it and look after it at board level because you're going to inherit all of this. I can't tell you how much I love that model. And it's something I observed just that one thing you said where there is an option for the, the members of the family business to, you know, be exposed to the business as kids, fall in love with it, hopefully, but make sure that they get the exposure to work somewhere else two to five years or more or go their own path. That is something when I, during my time at Biltmore, I greatly admired out of all the things they did was just that one concept of, all their kids had to work somewhere else for a minimum, I think it was three years in their case, before coming back because then the, you know, they got the opportunity 
to take the insights and the learnings from, you know, one of them worked at Disney and he traveled all over with their architecture and their um, archaeology projects, exploring new places, and then came back and has added so much value to the family business because of that exposure. And of course, it's, I'm sure the family's also thinking once you get to see what it's like out there and have that exposure, not only are you going to bring value back, but you're going to recognize the, the immense value of having a family that is close, who understands the Hello. world of business instead of being closed off. Yeah, absolutely. Anna. And then to give you some examples there, I know you're, you know, you've got your book published and I really admire what you're doing at your, your very young age and, and, and a great, uh, you know, Great, great brand for all Gen Zs of, of what, what, what is possible at, in your early 20s. I love it. And I uh, can't wait to share this podcast with all of my next gen. And so they find out more about the work that you're doing. But what I wanted to mention is a bit of an experiment going on here right now with my four kids because two of them have not been to university. One has graduated from university and one is currently in university. So it's split two and two. Uh, and and then the next experiment of what's going to happen with them in the future is two of them had a chance to follow me around from a young age and be at conferences and events. And I gave two of them an opportunity to speak in public at, at, a, at an event when they were both eight years of age. So my eldest was eight when he did his first speech and there was about 20 people in the room. My daughter followed me around when she was eight. She had 600 people in the audience. And when I look at the confidence level of these two out of the four, and no dis disrespect to the other two if they're going to be listening to this podcast, I still love you. <laughs> I was going to ask, and, uh, you, <laughs> are they listening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've still got lots of potential. Uh, so, uh, but, but the point I'm trying to make is by having that exposure, and especially, things, especially when it comes to public speaking, and Hannah, you're doing a lot of this right now, what a great skill to develop from a young age, to build confidence. So I think for parents listening to this, you, it's your job to put your children in different environments to build up their confidence and their self-esteem and give them exposure to different things. And later on, when they go out in the big wide world and they get a job and doing whatever they're doing, that's going to really support their journey. But at the same time, while they're doing that, give them a chance to work on projects. So what I mean by projects, my daughter's been involved in projects with me. My second son has been involved in digital projects with me. My eldest son has been involved in my recent book project and now will be a co-author of the new book that I've got coming out soon called A Family Business Messenger. So he'll be a co-author. His name's going to be on the front cover of that book. And he did that part-time while working for a company in London right now. And that is the other thing I encourage parents to do is get them involved in different projects. Um, it doesn't have to be working in the business full time while they're pursuing their passion or experimenting. And I hope I haven't gone in so many different directions. I hope it helps and I'm making sense that it supports your, your listeners. No, I love, I love these ideas because it is, it's very often the term that keeps coming up for me when you think of family business, or I think when most people hear the word family business, some terms that may come to mind are this idea of uh, legacy or maybe even closed off. It's like the family business becomes uh, 
ingrown. I don't know if that's not the best phrase to use, but it's this idea of try to retain as much loyalty as possible so that your kids can continue the wealth and continue building. But what I hear you describing, which I think is such a healthy mindset is get your kids involved in the business, but allow them to explore. And naturally, inherently, they're going to then see this, this golden light that's coming from your business because you've actually built a legacy that helps them to their, their impact to be exponentially even larger than yours. So it's, it's like a launching point. It's like this opportunity for the kids to say, let me spit, let me expand my wings and take advantage of these opportunities. These, you know, the heck the opportunity to co-author a book with your dad when you're young and to know that it's, it's going to have global exposure. What an opportunity for your son to now do even better things, grow even larger businesses or whatever his vision ends up being because you've established that foundation instead of the mindset being, you know, all everything that is portrayed in movies and for years where it's, you know, dad owned the carpet business. He, you know, stuck it out. He immigrated to this country, taking America as an example, immigrated to this country and started his company to put food on the table. Now you better work for the family business. It's instead this mindset of expansion, of growth, of, of wing spreading, of creativity unlocking. Yeah, you're speaking with a, with a lot of, for a, young, for a young lady, you're speaking like you've got a lot of wisdom, uh, Hannah. And that, you know, especially the key words you've just mentioned, like you, you, by building a family business with the flexibility of all the things I've said and, and being united and being together, you accelerate future generations to give them a solid foundation, whether it's the, the mental foundation, the emotional foundation, the social foundation, the spiritual foundation, and more importantly, a financial foundation. When family members are together and united, and let's say a business fails, a business doesn't work out, many businesses fail, many businesses go bankrupt. But because the family are together and united, they can rebuild really quickly. Or if there's multiple businesses and one goes down, because they're together, the others will bail that, that family member out and that business out. I've got a client right now with 50 family members in 50 countries with 50 businesses around the world, four generations. And if one family business, one business within the family group fails, you've got 49 to bail you out. Isn't that great to say, it's okay, what have you learned from it? Go again. Not, Phenomenal. oh, I'm on my own. Oh, my God, I've lost everything, and uh, I've got to rebuild from scratch. I've got no support from anywhere. That's difficult. You can lose 20 years going through that cycle. I love that, and it makes me want to ask the question, because this is something I've been doing a lot of thinking about and witnessed, not just in our family's company, but others as well. What would you say if there is a say there's, you know, a couple, they start a family business. There's the opportunity to get their kids involved because it's finally successful. Let's say they reach a couple million dollars in revenue. They're growing and expanding and their kids want to get involved. Would you have the mindset that those children should get involved with what already exists and help improve it and expand it? Or should they have the experience of having to start from the ground up with nothing so that they can learn what it took their parents to build the same sort of company or legacy? Yeah, very good. Excellent question. There's two aspects to this. 
one of my clients many years years ago had this issue with his next generation. He said, Reg, my kids don't have fire in their belly. <laughs> he goes, They're entitled, but, entitled right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those losers, lazy. Yeah, they don't have fire in their belly. Like, we're, like, this is not how I did it. We had nothing when we started and look where we are now. So we have, you have to really break that down, which is what, what, what do we mean by fire in the belly? That, that inner desire, that passion to go and do something. Well, you, again, you, you could have a model where you, you get them involved from a young age to get exposure uh, and to understand how things work. That's important rather than that entitlement and wealth and luxury and go and have fun. But, but there's no connection to how this thing was built in the first place. And the best time to condition a child in a positive way is before the age of seven. Before the age of seven. After that, maximum 14. Maximum 14. After that, it's downhill, by the way. <laughs> right? it, becomes, it becomes really difficult after that because there's only a small percentage of what happens from that age onwards. It's really the first 14 years is critical. So it's a good time to get them involved. And uh, one of my clients right now, they, they, they're quite big on philanthropy. So they've said to the children from a young age, you've got all of these things that a lot of people don't have. You know, we've worked hard to provide you with these things. Don't take it for granted, but let's show you how things are happening around the world where we're going to give back. So they get them involved in philanthropy from a young age where these children now realize, wow, you know, we... We are privileged and we need to serve and we need to give back. That's one way of building good values, okay, rather than arrogancy and being arrogant with entitlement, if that makes sense around the world. You see some rich kids and how they behave. The other side of it, of fire in the belly, is, is building that DNA into the children from a young age about starting things. You don't have to be 21 to start a business. Do you know you could start teaching entrepreneurial skills to a seven-year-old, to an eight-year-old, to a 10-year-old? You can start developing those skills from a very young age. Um, I remember convincing my daughter when we were in Goa, and she must have been around 11 or 12 years of age. And we were walking around in this hotel, saw some shops, and she saw this bag. And, and it was just really creative. It was basically the, the shape of a shoe, was the bag, and then it had a heel, okay? And she said, Dad, that's really nice, isn't it? Wow, I'd love to have a bag like that one day. And and cutting the long story short, our room was not far from this shop. So we went back to our room, and I said, why don't you, because we watched, I said, why don't you go back and, and try buy that, that bag? And she goes, oh, I, I don't know. How do I do that? What do I say? How do... I said, and, and every, everything in, in those days, especially in that part of the world, was all around negotiation. So it didn't matter what the price tag was, you had to negotiate. And cutting a long story short, she went back and forth where she asked for a price. The guy said no. She came back to us. She goes, no, you know, he said no, he said no. And I said, well, go back again. Try this. She goes, I said, go on, just try it. You never know, just try it. And this happened three or four times. And eventually she came back with the bag. <laughs> and it wasn't about the bag at all you know she liked the bag it was about that feeling of wow if you ask if you ask people for what you really want even if you get a no and you get rejected you should ask again and try again 
And it's these little skills, these little things that we need to ingrain into the next generation rather than just academia and, uh, and, and the normal things that happen in the school system to create great human beings. And I think it's those things with experimentation that leads to fire in the belly. And someone says, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. Why? What, what, what can I create? What can I start? It doesn't mean you give them all the money. Like in our family constitution, we'll give you $5,000 as exper experimentation money for any new venture. If the business moves to the next stage, we'll give you $25,000 loan. And it has to be paid back. But it's interest-free. <laughs> all right? And, and then after that, we can decide whether the family want to invest more and, and what the plan would be. So I did that with my son. And because he had to use all of that $5,000 in the right way, guess what? He never came back for the $25,000. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm not taking a loan from the family. And he incubated, he bootstrapped his business with the first five grand and monetized his business. Anyway, I hope that helps. That's a That is amazing. And everything you're describing is exactly what I am preaching to my siblings. To, I preached to myself and my parents did for years of this concept of, I mean, you heard, you heard my blue truck story with my dad also handing me his cell phone with a, a business development opportunity at age 12. And I literally think that is what has shaped me, that those experiences is what is what shaped me into who I am today. So I couldn't agree more with this idea of how do you get involved, or at least what I'm hearing you say, how do you get your kids involved with the great things you're doing and help them learn skills that you've already learned? Maybe because you did bootstrap it and you had to figure out negotiation from ground zero. Well, now you can help your kids start learning how to negotiate from ground four, maybe, or, you know, have a few, a couple steps up because you can help coach them now. They don't necessarily have to start at ground zero like you did. Of course, there's probably many things that they would benefit from starting at ground zero, but you're giving them a, a launching pad. So if I think, you know, back to my question, because this is an ongoing conversation that I have with, with my parents is, what is that launching point where you also don't cre create laziness, right? Create uh, entitlement mm -hmm. with within whether it's my siblings or, you know, I have six siblings. So there, we have quite a large family. It's not just like, you know, there's one or two of us who might become entitled or, or whatnot. And I think my parents have done a great job, but this is a question I get from other, other Gen Zers who are a part of family business, you know? So I, I'm going to take that idea, say Reg said it, love the 5,000 experimental loan. Cause that is, it's great. It's like a great way to learn or fail or, you know, be curious and, and not be, you know, not lose the entire business, but of course, you know, have something to, to start off with. And I, I just love it. It's about failing as well, isn't it, Anna, where, where I'm a firm believer, fail as much as you can. I failed with my first business. I started my first company when I was 17. I was almost bankrupt by the time I was 21 and learned valuable lessons. And my dad was like, right, are you going back to studies or what are you doing now? And uh, I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go again. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, I suppose he goes, the, the money that you've lost is about the same I would have spent on your, on your, on your MBA. So uh, I'm good, you know, just pick yourself up. Let's go, go again, that's fine. But learn from your mistakes, son. And yeah, that was valuable for me at the age of 21 which is it's good to make mistakes. It's good to let your children to make mistakes. Don't, don't protect them in every direction. 
um, because that's, that also creates weakness. You don't build resilience and grit by not making mistakes and failing. 100%. 100%. I, I wanted to ask you a whole series of question, questions about the next generation and what you're seeing with family businesses, but it looks like we're going to have to have another conversation mm-hmm. about that because it is that could unlock Pandora's box on you know all the things you're seeing globally with Gen Z specifically in family businesses. But I did, I want, I want to just uh, ask you these, um, these final quit. We have to have some, have some fun in this episode. I've got to ask you some of these Gen Z trend questions and you're going to tell me if these are actually cool. Uh, So, okay. How old are your kids? So 19, 21, 24 and 25. Okay. Okay. So all Gen Z. Yes. All Gen Z. The eldest would be the eldest of your I suppose what a Gen Z is, isn't that right? He's on the, yes. on the cusp of Gen Z and mil- mil- millennial, I suppose. Yes, twenty six this year is is the cutoff. So all Gen Z, right there, right there. So you are probably familiar with all these trends, but I, I have to I ask. Know. I <laughs> I have all of so I've I have so many questions for just people because I I love thinking about the future and how and how to vision you know what would it be like if we had space technology and things like that but this one's a little bit more down to earth so let's see if you're cool Reg Mm -hmm. um middle parts hair middle parts yes or no yeah fine whatever makes somebody happy (laughs) awesome are tiktok dances cool only if you watch them in small doses (laughs) I love that that is such a that is, that is uh, such a good answer. I I agree. I also get tired of them after a while. Speaking of TikTok, how often do you go on the app, if ever? I don't go on the app at all. Um, I, I went on to the app when it first came out, and and then I spoke to my kids about it as well. And my youngest two were were on it all the time, and then my youngest was on it so often in the evenings at university that he almost passed out. He fainted one evening because he was on the device for so long, scrolling up and down or whatever, watching TikTok videos. And so I have two sizes. I think on one side, I think it's great as a platform, but I think, look, unless you're the one who's creating the TikTok video that's linked to a business or a brand, go for it. But if you're the one who's spending seven, eight hours a day watching other people's videos, you are wasting your time. That's my preach point. it. <laughs> yes. Did your, I hope your son never did that again. Cause that, yeah. After you pass out, yikes. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of scrolling. <laughs> on well, you think about it. If you, if you're, if you're watching, if not, it's not just TikTok. We're not having a go at TikTok, but if you take any, any platform on a device and, and, and the, the, the energy coming out of that device and light and all the rest of it and the impact it has, there's research done. If, if that's the last you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, people are scrolling up and down watching videos. You will not rest properly. Your mind needs to rest to get creative. Yes. Yes. Well, it's like what uh, all the creators say, you know, Graham Steven talks about this all the time. He's like, if you're the one watching the videos instead of creating them, you're wasting your life. (laughs) If you, you know, if you do do too much watching. Well, we got really philosophic on this BuzzFeed quiz. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. Are baggy jeans cool? Baggy jeans. Is that even really like what is what is the the garb that everybody wears in 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 Dubai? I've seen everything. Everything. Yeah, I think I think baggy jeans are fine. I think well, it depends. Are we talking a baggy 
um, gym bottoms, you know, tracksuit, tracksuit bottoms? Are we talking jeans specifically? We're talking jeans, like baggy versus skinny, like oh, no, high no, waisted. No, no. Baggy, baggy jeans, not cool. No. Not cool. Okay. All right. Let's see. It looks like the result of that one, 58% think yes, 42% think no. So let's see. Oh, this one. Have you ever seen this happen where, where Gen Z will cover our mouth for dramatic emphasis while talking to make it cool? I haven't seen that, no. Okay. I've only, this seen, is... I've only seen that on television when football players are talking to each other in case <laughs> the, the broadcasters find out what they're talking about. Fair enough. Hold the paper up in front. This one's like, you can, well, you can't even, we're not doing video. So yeah, they're like, hold, hold your mouth up in front. Cause it's cool. I guess I don't, I don't know. It's just a thing. Just a thing. Okay. One more. The laughing emoji. I don't know if you text with emojis, Reg, but do you think that the laughing emoji is cool or the crying emoji is cooler? I think the crying emoji is cooler. The crying emoji? Yeah, it's got a little okay. bit more impact, I think. Yeah. It's like the one that for Gen Z, apparently the ones with the two little yeah. teardrops yeah, are I think, is not I think cool. You could, look at, you could, you could see them. You, you could use it in both, both sides of, of crying and sadness, but it, it could also be crying with from laughter. So I think uh -huh. it's cool because it's got both sides to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. It's like, there's like the one that has the teardrops right here on the sides of the eyes. And then there's the one with the stripes coming down. The oh face. no, I'm not talking about the stripes. No, no. Oh, okay. That's the Gen <laughs> Z cool one. Just so you oh, know. Really? So oh, yeah. if you want to be cool for Gen Z, you gotta, you gotta well, have well, the stripes. After, after we're done uh, speaking, then I'll, 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 I'll send some messages to the kids and try that one out and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you may get some points with Gen Z. You never know. So I have so any enjoyed with this. Tips while you're at any other? <laughs> oh, any of <laughs> Actually, you know what? I it's my personal opinion with Gen Z that uh, the the fewer emojis, the better. The millennials were the really big emoji generation, like you know emojis everywhere, and like you know praying hands after asking for something, and the crying emoji, crying laughing laughy emoji after everything. Gen Z doesn't just we don't just use that many emojis. If you go on Snap, there's more like you can use avatars and and all of that. Um, but honestly. Use them sparingly. It'll be. I have a question for you with the, with Gen Z. The the communication format or, or, or option is it messaging? Is it a messaging with emojis? Is it voice note? Is it pick up the phone? Are you talking about with kids, with employees, with adult, with with parents, with Gen Z children? Parents to kids. So a combination of, of all of those things, except for picking up the phone. So you're going <laughs> to anything by calling anything. FaceTiming is even better. If you want to speak with, you know, your kid or whatnot, and you send them a FaceTime, that's much cooler than if you just call them on the phone. Um, if you are messaging them, do you all have iPhones or is everybody on Androids? There's a mixture. But oh, I say oh, mixed, the majority of the family on iPhones. The only person not on the iPhone is uh, me over here with my Android. Oh, oh, your first step: get an iPhone. Oh yeah, I'm 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 out of the picture already just because I've got Android. <laughs> they, they all they all they all take the mick out of me because I've got an Android. Well, see, okay, so here's here's the thing: I just made my dad convert to an iPhone, and it has changed the entire game of our business too. Because here's the thing: if you're all on Androids, that's fine. 
But if only one person's on an Android and everybody else is on iPhone, you're missing out on the opportunity to download galleries, to see people when they're messaging, their messaging bubbles pop up so it feels more community-like when you're on a group text. You're missing the opportunity to, um, there's just so many cool features that when an entire family's on it, you can share photos easily. There's airdrop. You know, my family will sometimes say we're at a Christmas holiday. You know, one of us will be taking all the pictures. Well, in a click of a button, we're not having to text and wait, you know, 20 minutes for the text to go through with all the videos and pictures. I, I get it. Like unless, I got a, unless I got a second phone, maybe, but there is a long story to my Android and oh. my, my, con- <laughs> my contract in the UAE. And I was a massive Black BlackBerry fan in the days. There's a long story here with Android. But um, so what, what could be another option where... If I want to, if I want to increase the communication, and I don't have an iPhone, okay, for all your Android listeners, yay! Um, yes. What, what, what <laughs> could I do to increase communication? Because what I've noticed, and and this, I think, is a really good conversation, Hannah. I know we're digressing, but what I've noticed is, let's say WhatsApp. Um, I remember a couple of years ago where all of my children would be very active on WhatsApp, and what I've realized in the last eighteen months, hey is that the the Gen Z do not respond quickly anymore through WhatsApp. It's amazing. I've seen it. It's not with I thought it was just one of them. Then I thought two of them. Then I thought, wow, three of them? All of them. It's like it takes a day or even two days for someone to see a message and respond. I'm, I'm quite shocked with that. All I can say, and I don't know your kids' specific situation, is... We are now in a time where messaging is happening on so many different platforms that it, I, I am definitely one of those transgressors as well. When my parents text me and I, I, the message just gets literally lost because we're, we're messaging on Snapchat, on LinkedIn. Mm. Well, I am on LinkedIn, but maybe not your kids yet, but LinkedIn, WhatsApp, the actual iPhone messaging app, we... Another way of communicating with Zers, which is going to continually increase, a lot of us just stay in touch with our friends through responses to their stories on Instagram. So if you want to be the cool dad to your Gen Z Z kids, send them reels. If you find something that's funny that you saw on social media or something interesting, send that to them. What's hilarious to me is that even with my own Gen Z peers, I'll get a response to a video like that. I don't know if you can hear my snap on the recording, but if if I send them a funny reel that was like, you know what? I was thinking about you because I, you know, came across this video of something we were chatting about the other day. I'll get almost an instantaneous response because we're so used to commenting on TikTok videos, YouTube videos, uh, snap reactions. Like we're so used to that sort of communication. And when our parents don't do that, and they're just always reaching about about, you know, hey, when are you going to be home or what's the plan for this event? It's just cumbersome. And so I don't know if that's the situation you're dealing I love with that. at all. I love that. I'm definitely going to try that out. I think that's brilliant. Uh, from now on, I'm not going to send messages. I'm just going to create short little videos and send, send videos. <laughs> I think I'm going to shock all four of them because they're in a different country right now. So, you know, this is going to be great to try this out. Yeah. Well, and and the key here, don't make them all just you recording videos. They may be like, oh, dad, again, send, if you're on 
try TikTok again. There's a lot of education. I set a timer for like five or 10 minutes, go through TikTok. If I find an interesting video, I literally just click share and text it to someone. And then they feel like I've you know thought of them that day. And the response again, al- almost instantaneous. And that's like, you know, my 15 year old brother who rarely ever responds to anything unless it's on Snapchat or whatnot. I'll send him a text with a video and he's like, you know, man, that's cool. Or, you know, oh, awesome. How are you? So it just generates conversation. If that's, if that's your goal, I would say reels and TikToks are the way to a Gen Zers heart. Yeah. TikTok, I'm not going there, but reels, I I will test that one out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't dip your toe in the devil's pot. I, I hear you. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Well, hey, next time I see a, a reel come through from you, I'll know you're you're implementing the Gen Z tactics and the crying the the crying stripe emoji face. Yeah. <laughs> with my video. With my video. With your video. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, that should be attention. Oh, is, why is dad sent a video? Is he crying? What's happened to him? Oh. <laughs> What's happening? Maybe he just talked to Hannah. <laughs> Well, I've so enjoyed this conversation, Raj. We're going to have to do it again. And I, I just, I selfishly asked a lot of these questions today because I just need to know from, from my family business's standpoint, and you're a wealth of, of knowledge. And I just, I love every conversation we have. So thank you so much for for joining me. It's been great. Thank you, Hannah. Well, that is a wrap with the legendary Reg Athwal. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to check out his book, The Family Business Messenger. And if you're like Reg, struggling to connect with Gen Z, with the native digitals, please hit me up. You can join our free masterclass held the second and fourth Thursdays of every month. Just go to hannahgwilliams.com forward slash get that shit. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.